Isaiah 40. Let me read a few verses to you, and we'll jump into it. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem, and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord his hand double for all of her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Repare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain shall be brought low. And crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice saith, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all is loveliness like the flower of the field, but the grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are as grass, their grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O God, you who bring good tidings, get up unto the high mountain, pardon me, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up unto the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift up. Be not afraid, says, say it to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. Lord, we thank you. How wonderful it is, Lord, in the world in which we live. Lord, that you give us a time for our soul to steal away and to sit before you. And, Lord, we ask that you would quiet it. Quiet down, Lord, the world outside. And, Lord, bring us into the world inside. The eternal world, the real world. Lord, the grass fades, the flower withers. But, Lord, that you would uh, let that which is forever become even deeper and embedded within us. That's true. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here, you know, it's interesting. You know, when the Bible says, repeats things, like it says here, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Whenever the Lord speaks that way and does it, it's, it's not because he's just simply reiterating it. It's because he wants to heavily emphasize it. It's because it's something that's extremely important. And that's really the key uh, to this book, it's, uh, this chapter. It's, it's a chapter of comfort. It's a, God, a chapter where God is really wanting to, to look at each person listening. He said, I have a word for you. I have comfort for you. And I believe it's the most comforting chapter. When you stop and hopefully we, can, we understand it, it's a wonderful chapter. But as if it comes home to us, it ought to be, you know, one of the deepest comforts, the greatest comfort. A comfort that the world knows no comfort like this comfort. You know, we live in a world, I think America probably today, we, you, you could almost call us, I think, the, the connoisseurs of comfort. <laughs> you talk about a generation that has chased comfort and the concept of comfort, everything. It seems to be almost measured by comfort. You know, uh, you know, our, we want our clothes comfort, our car clump comfortable. We want, you know, our house to be comfortable. Everything to do is around us. Everything must be comfortable. The, the dinner tables got to be comfortable. We want comfortable music, all, you know, going on in the background. And, and everything is, it's got to be comfortable to the eye and comfortable to the ear and to the taste buds and to the feel and the senses. Everything around, we, we, we covet that. We, we search for it. We struggle for it all the time wanting it. But, of course, as far as God's concerned, the sad thing is, is the world's always looking for comfort in the wrong 
places because no matter how hard it tries, no matter how much it has, no matter how much it protects itself with all of the comforts, you look at the rich and the famous and the great, you know, notable actors and actresses and the wealth and all of that, and yet you look at their lives, though they've got maybe walls around their house and they've got guards and they've got cameras and they've got everything be inside those walls that anybody could ever dream of having. You know, when you would look into some of these people's lives, and yet you realize the emptiness of it all. How, no matter how hard they try to find comfort, they can't find it. And that's here is as the Lord is speaking to Isaiah, He's wanting to tell him where the real comfort is, where it's really found. And and here at this time, Israel had lost its comfort. That's for sure. Their lives are in, in in misery. They're in pain. They're in struggle. They're in sorrow. No matter how hard they tried, uh, you know, and how successful they had kind of been in their attempts, uh, people were still in deep unrest. And, of course, the interesting thing is that's kind of where our nation is. More than ever, it just seems like that we keep plunging more and more into, into unrest and, and difficulty. You know, we, it used to be, you know, you go to the grocery store and, hi, how are you? Nice day today. You know, it was just... Just talk maybe some little thing about the weather. Yes, it is. How are you? Fine, you know, or whatever. Well, you don't go to the grocery store. First of all, mask, no mask, even if they're going to let you in. And then whatever you talk about is politics. It's, 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 it's core of it. It's, it's the kids in school. It's a mask or no mask. It's what's really going on. Uh, or what part of the city is burning, <laughs> you know, or going on and defunding the police. And here I am. You invite me to the city of brotherly love. Well, well, thank you very much. What's going on here? This is Philadelphia, you know, in the sense. But you look here, what's going on? We're now tonight, you know, we ought to get to get out of here by nine o'clock because of the, the city's, you know, rioting. And uh, so you better get home and you may get to bed. Make sure you got your Second Amendment on the bedstand next to you, you know, or something. And, and we could, for comfort, you know, you put, lock the door, turn out the light. And, and sit there, you know, in the living room with a shotgun on your in your lap and, and relax, you know, or something. I mean, it's almost like, what's what's going on here? Well, here Isaiah, he turns it around, and I believe he lays out, and hopefully, you know, you'll go through this with me. And I challenge you, kind of ask yourself, can you, can you, is it here to where, as we would look at this, you would really see this is greater comfort than the world knows? as we get into it. Maybe if you're one to take notes, just kind of go through and ask yourself that. Then secondly, ask yourself, do you know this comfort? That's the way we ought to look at the word when we're going through it. And do we know these things when God looks at us and he says, comfort you. I want to comfort you. I truly, truly, truly want to comfort you. I want to help you. And here, you know, the children of Israel, you know, they, as a remnant there in Babylon at the time, and here uh, they now at this point, they knew well, you know, their failure, their sin. But from God's perspective, they needed encouragement. And he lays out here some areas that we'll look at that are right in front of us here. And it's a special message, I think, from Isaiah. They're to a very needy people at a very needy time in their life. And again, they had sinned greatly against the Lord. There had been great idolatry, all sorts of immorality, all sorts of injustice. God had sent his messengers over and over and over to speak to them. They just blew them off, didn't care. We're not worried. It's not going to happen. Judgment's not going to come. And then God allowed these things to come down on them, allowed judgment, allowed captivity. It isn't because he didn't love them, it's because he did. 
Well, now, you know, even though he's, he's chastised them, it didn't stop his love for a moment. It is something that inspires and maintains his love. He wants them to know, I'm not forsaking you. I love you. I care for you. And here, as he uses this word comfort, it's really a wonderful Hebrew word. It's a word nakam, but it means to breathe deeply, to be sorry. It's a, it, it's a sense of consoling and pity. And it's a picture here of the Lord essentially coming there with sorrow himself and pity a heartfelt message, almost as if you, have you ever been maybe in a hospital in a very difficult time and somebody that loves you, they come in and they sit down and, and there's not a word particularly that they can say, but they sit down and they just take a deep breath. They just sit next to you and just, <sighs> their arm goes around you and uh, in a sense, and it's something there you just sense their sorrow for you, their pity. They know what here you are, and you know, and you know the hospital, and waiting for somebody that's in there in surgery or something. And there's nothing particularly. They just want to sit at your side and comfort you. This is the picture of what God is doing when He's saying, "Comfort, comfort." He's coming to Israel. He's coming to every one of us, regardless of what it is we've been in and been through, and even if we brought it all upon ourselves. It doesn't change His love. It doesn't change His desire to sit down with us. He tells them as well, here he says, your warfare is ended. And, uh, and, and that word warfare, it means severe trials. I know I've allowed you to go through severe trials, but they're over now. They've ended. They've served their purpose. There, and, as he, and he wants to share this with them. And then he gives them to me one of the most wonderful pictures in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard it before because you've been through the scriptures here so many times, and I'm sure Isaiah. But he says, I've, I've paid double for your sins. And here, it's one of the most wonderful pictures, I think, in all of scripture almost, you know, the, of God's heart of love and of blessing for us. And, uh, and what he means here, when, you, when your warfare is over and your iniquities, he says they are forgiven. Because I've paid double for your sins. And it's such a fabulous picture because back in, in this day and age when this is written, when somebody was bankrupt or insolvent, they couldn't pay their, their bills and, and they're in debt. And they didn't have collection agencies and all that other stuff that we do today that deal with stuff like that. What it was is that somebody had to put a piece of paper on their door and all of the people that they owed money to, they came and they listed the debt. And then as the, and as others saw, well, look at, the, and then they added what they were all, what they were all, real, man, they, and they had to decide, do we want to go on doing business with this person? They're insolvent. They can't pay their bills. And, uh, and everybody adds it up. And then finally the bankruptcy kind of the day, it was they just divided what there was amongst the people that the indebtedness was, somewhat like we do today. But it was incredibly embarrassing because now out in the public, on the door, you know, of their house, there was, there was their debt. There was their, their, you know, their uncollected bills. And anybody who every, and everybody who came along could see their financial problems. Decide again whether they wanted to go, you know, and do anything with them before everything was divided up. But at the same time, if a loved one or a friend or a family member, you know, came along and out of their own heart, they decided, I want to pay those debts. I want to clear, clear it all, all the accounts. They would then go to that door. They would fold the debts, the paper, in half. And they would double it up, tack it back up, and they would write their name on the outside. 
which now was instruction to anybody in there that was owed anything at all by this person. You now go to him, and he is paying it off. He is taking care of it. And when the Lord says, I've paid double for your iniquities. I paid it all off. Every bit of it. And think of it. Just for a moment yourself. Think of you, think in a sense for a moment of your own sins, of all your life. You know, that even we couldn't even dwell on it. We couldn't even begin, you know, to guess what they all are. We couldn't uh, dream of listing them on a door. The known sins, the unknown sins, sins of commission, omission, uh, direct, you know, pain that we've brought on other people, things that we purposed to do and we did, things in the moment, the agitation, things against God, things against man. Things in relationships, behavior and word and in deed and attitudes of our heart inside and out and all around us are just listed and listed and listed and listed. I mean, just think, I don't know about you, I would need a lot of comfort. If there was something on the door and the outside exposed of my life and everybody came along could just, oh, here's what he did to me. Here's what he said to me. Here's my deed. Oh, man. Yeah, they could, if they could gather the people through all the years. You know, they, could you imagine what people, if they recorded it and kept it, hopefully a lot of people forgot stuff. Maybe they remember stuff, too. But at any rate, the point of it is, that, but to think of the comfort there of just ab- having that all out. Right out exposed there. But then here, I mean, again, I need great, great comfort. I'm sure you would too. For really looking at it, realizing what it is. But here with this endless list, then Jesus comes along and he doubles it over. At the door of my heart and door of my life. And then as he looks there, I mean, now we're talking comfort. Now we're talking comfort the world knows it has no idea uh, of. I mean, the fundamental basic comfort that every soul needs, a rest from the turmoil of its own failure, its own sin, its own past, just like the children of Israel. All the things that they had done that brought them into the captivity, brought them into this emptiness, brought them into this failure of their life. When, and, they, and sometimes, you know, a lot of people, they go through failure in their life, but it's always somebody else's fault. They go through their life, and it's, you know, it, 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 you know, it seems like the first half of our life is ruined by our parents. The second half is ruined by our children. I mean, there's always somebody to blame, you know, for anything in our life. You know, some boss we had, somebody who ripped off our, our retirement plan, somebody there who promised to love me and didn't and let me down. And we, we could so easily, we always got a way of shifting the blame. But here the children of Israel, that's what they had done for years. It was, we're, never, we're, we're okay. There's a problem, get somebody else. The prophets tried to speak to them, get everything. They, they just... Somehow or another, it just slipped right off them until finally it's taken its toll. And they're in bondage and they're tired and their, their world is crashing down. And now the Lord, he comes, something he wanted to do all along, you know, since finally the time I can come and just sit down next to them. Take a deep breath. Are you ready to talk? It's all forgiven. We can end the warfare right now. It can be over. All of it. Of your whole life. Every bit of it. Now we're talking comfort. Now we're talking, you know, uh, you know something there. And you realize right now, Jesus, he ever lives. You know, make intercession for us. He presents us faultless. Every one of us as we sit here. If you, if you know, even though you may not, you may, I'm fine. There's no real problem. I don't need any comfort. He still intercedes. She said, well, I can't sit down with them tonight. They're still angry at somebody. They're still shifting the blame. They're still blaming somebody. 
But you know, they, they got to go a little farther down. Got it. They haven't hit rock bottom, maybe. But here, but when they do, and, and Israel did, the Lord was so anxious to come comfort, comfort. I mean, he, I want to sit down with great. He wants it more than we do. Any of you that are a parent and go through things with your children and you see the things they can bring upon themselves, how much you want to be able to just finally have the time you can sit down and they look at you and say, I'm, I'm sorry, or help me, or something. That would open the door where now you can put your arm and take a death. And say, oh, I've waited for this day. Think how much, you know, and, and if your earthly fathers are being evil, know how to give good gifts to their children, know how to think this way. How much more does your heavenly father that he looks at us? But it's also not only just comfort for the past that everybody needs, it's comfort for the present. He says in verse 3, he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight. Uh, in the desert, a highway for our God. And here he's looking here, you know, at, at things where as he's taking them through in the hills and the valleys, the hills brought down, the valleys brought up, the crooked way making straight, he, he says. But there on one hand, he says, the first thing we got to deal with, with the warfare, with the battle, with the struggle, with the captivity, with the past. But now that I'm bringing you out of the captivity, I'm bringing you out, you know, you know of, uh, of your bondage. Uh, his forgiveness, his comfort frees us to bring us out, but he also acknowledges now bringing you out. Now getting things where they need to be in your life. Where we got to, so we can move ahead. He says, I'm well aware that you're, you're going back to try to rebuild Jerusalem. You're going back to rebuild the temple. You're going back to try to rebuild your homes, your marriage, your families. All of these things that have deteriorated over time. All these things, you know, sometimes it's, it's just so wonderful to know the Lord's love and his mercy and his forgiveness. But yet at the same time, we, 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 we look at everything and say, but what's the use? I'm so overcome by, you know, all this devastation, everything I've been around, and it's all crashed, it's all burned, it's all destroyed, it's all gone. You know, I mean, the, the thought of ever rebuilding anything. But here the Lord, as he looks at them, you know, he, he says, that's not your job. And maybe it was your job that got you into trouble, but it's not your job to get yourself out of trouble. That's my job. I'm going to go before you. And the picture here of like an ambassador ultimately is fulfilled in John the Baptist for Jesus. But it's also true for them. They're, they're going back to Jerusalem. They're going back to try to rebuild something that's completely devastated all around, every aspect kind of of their lives. And here, you know, they've got to go back and remove these obstacles, fill in the valleys, bring down the mountains, straighten things out. You know, if you ever watch some of these like World War II documentary, and, and, and it's interesting, so often in war, they not only go in to destroy, you know, and to, to do what the, you take a country or to defeat it, but also in the process of it, they, they, you see these things, one of the strategies, you go and you blow down their, blow up their bridges, you want to take all their main roads and bomb them so that they can't get tanks over them and heavy artillery over them and move all of their troops over them and uh, kind of cripple everything, you know, so not only there, I mean, you ever want to go back, we're, we're, we're making everything as difficult for your life as dreaming ever possible. The road is devastated. It's all blown up. And how many times, again, when we, when we get our life messed up and we've gone astray, you know, now behind us, we just look at every, I've blown everything up. I've blown it all to pieces. I look at all these relationships. I look at all the hills and valleys and blown up and 
caverns in the ground and, and trash I've built up. And they're, and they're, they're looking at this thing. And overcome it. But yet is by it. But the Lord looks and he says, you know, he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to straighten all this out. This is my job. This is not your job. Don't you worry about this. This is what I do. He said, all flesh shall see, shall see together. Uh, you know, I, 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 let me show you the comfort. All flesh is grass, he says. Assyria, for them, is gone. It was huge. It was bigger than life. It was, it was an incredible war. Now, well, now Babylon is gone. And God just looks. He says, you know, these things that were so huge, these things that seemed absolutely hopeless, by the way, have you noticed they're gone? You notice that they're, 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 they're gone. And uh, the all fly, it's like grass. All the leaders, they come, they go, they fade away. But the word of God is forever. So what I say, it has this in, incredible knack of actually happening. You know, God looks here and he says, it really happens. When I decide and I say, let there be light, guess what? There's light. No argument. There's no discussion. I do it. And when I want to take somebody's life and say, you give it to me, let me deal with the past, forgive all that, you know, put double for your sins. And as we kind of go through that, but also there now, it's my job to bring you through this. Yeah, but, but in, and he knows it's overwhelming to them because when, you, when you've been through this and you've been in the warfare and you've been, you, you're, you're, you're scared to death of, this, of Assyria. They destroyed you. They chewed you up and spit you out. Babylon. I mean, you were no match for Babylon there. It was, it was hopeless, you know, for you. They're, they're bigger than life. But how many, when you stop to think, how many times has there been something in your life, if you kind of go back that at the time, it was your certain destruction? It was it. I mean, your heart was pounding. I can't get through this. This is over. I, I, I guarantee you, 90% of them, you don't even remember. You're, and you're almost embarrassed by the ones you do, in a sense. Well, I remember many years ago, I was at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa on staff there. And uh, at the time, we were in escrow getting a house across the street. My father-in-law had a house in the area, and we were in his house, staying there. Well, he wanted to, he, they, they had a big garage area, and my mother-in-law, she wanted a, a laundry room that was closed off from the, from the garage. So they'd hired some guys to come in and build a little wall, so it was just have its little private room uh, there, you know, right next to the garage, coming in through the laundry room. Well, they'd hired, you know, there's some guys working there, and they've been building and doing all this stuff during the day, and then at night they'd leave all their stuff there, pull the garage door down, and go home and come back and go to work the next day. Well, one night about 2 in the morning or something, I wake up. I go walking to get something out of the refrigerator in the kitchen, which is usually between 2 and 3. But the, uh, I, and I notice as I walk by the garage door, and under the garage door I see a, f- a flashlight. I see a and I. I, I, I stopped. I, was so st- I looked at it, and sure enough, uh, the, fla- the flashlight again. And I, re- I was thinking of going out, and then I realized, man, I go out there. I don't know how many they are. They're probably getting all the, the equipment, all the tools that were just there. And so I, <laughs> that's going to be a confrontation I don't know if I'm pr- ready for in, in my pajamas particularly. But, the, but it, so I go to the, this is before cell phones. I go over, get up the phone. I call the operator. Operator, operator, give me the police. I'm sorry, you can't hear me. I can't hear you. You got to speak up. I can't. There's a burglar in my house. Did you say there's a? Yes, there's a burglar. Give me the police. Are you in the city of Costa Mesa or city of Santa? Costa Mesa. You know, 
They get me. Hold on. Next minute, there's somebody there, you know, <laughs> Costa Mesa Police Department. Can I help you? There's a burglar in my house. I'm sorry. You got to speak up. I can't hear you. I can't speak up. There's a burglar in my house. What's your address? I give him the address. And he says, oh, do they know you're there? I said, no, I don't think so. They're in the garage. Yeah, but they're, they're, you got to get over here. I, my, my heart's beating because if the garage door was open, if they decided to walk in the house, I don't know. And, and so, all right. And our house backed up against the street, and they said, we see on the map, police are going to come by your house with uh, their lights on, no sirens. And so just stay there listening with me until you see them, and then go stand at your door. Do you have a, a peephole through? I say, yes, you know, to him. And he says, all right, just wait till they identify themselves, and they'll handle it from there. Okay, well, a minute later, boom, 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 behind me, all these red lights, I could see them. I said, they're here. And he says, all right, they're, they're cordoning off the street. They got their cars, they had three cars down at the end. And a minute or two later, you know, I see one of them come out the front, and so I open the door. And he says, are they in the garage? Yes, I just saw the light again on my way over here. They're in there. They said, okay, so these guys, they got their shotguns out. They're behind bushes or standing around. All right, this is the Costa Mesa Police Department. We, you, know, uh, you know, we've got you, you, everything covered here. We're going to, you come out with your hands up. Not a word. Come out with your hands up. I'm sitting there, oh, no. And so they, they, one gets on the one side of the garage, another on the other side, and they lift the door up. And here inside, they're, they got their flashlights all going in there waiting to see, identify yourself, come out, and they're not coming out. And all of a sudden, the light on the dryer blinks on. And then it's shorted or something. The light goes on, and we all jump back. And the guy looks at it, he looks at me, and he says, Do you want me to blow it away? <laughs> but how many, you know, I think in heaven we'll look back someday at all the things, Lord, blow it away. This is going to kill me. We don't remember most of them. We don't remember the things that were so huge. They were the end of our world, the end of our life. And yet he just said, I, you know, there, I'm here. I'll make all this down. I handle anything. I handle everything to them. You know, uh, and he still tells them in verse 9, you know, you know with it, in, Oh, Zion. You who bring good tidings, get up unto the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. You know, uh, saith the, uh, uh, say to the city of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, uh, and in his arms shall rule over him. Behold, his reward is with him as his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs with his arms, carry them in his bosom, and leave those who are gently with young. He just says, let me be your shepherd. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your hands. Lift up your heads. Look up. Don't be afraid. Over and over, behold your God. Get to a high mountain. You're looking down. You're letting that defeat you. You're looking there through your depression. And here is as the nation there. You know, you want to bring them out of the valley into a mountaintop and then to behold God's victory, his glory that's all around them. He wants there to bring good tidings, he says, to preach good news. There, you know, the defeat of Babylon. He wants to, he tells them there in chapter 52, which we're not going to look at, but only there on how the release of the captives, uh, the Jews. And, but here, of course, the good news today is the freedom from sin, freedom from the past. 
brought into his presence where, Lord, you are my shepherd. And you will feed me. You will lead me. You will take care of me. And that's, I mean, when somebody, no, I don't, what, what, is that comfort or what? I mean, what, if that's not comfort, what is? I mean, the whole reason that most people want to, you know, with, to gather as much wealth as they can is something there where that's, that, that's their shepherd. That will lead me. That's going to get me through the valleys. That's going to get me over the high hills. That's going to, you know, makes things straight when the whole rest of the world's in trouble. Their form of worldly identity and security and hope. And here he's looking there. And he said, it doesn't work for them. They don't have any security. They're not comfortable at all. He then goes on and he wants to comfort them, you know, not simply with the past and with the present, but comfort them with his power. Verse 12, he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. And he says, uh, and measure the heavens with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who has been his counselor and taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as a small dust on the scales. I mean, here's something you just look at this God just say, I don't know if, I don't think you really have any idea who you're talking to. I don't think you have any idea who you pray to day and night. I don't think you have any idea who I am and what I've got. I, I measure out the heavens in a span. It's something that the dust, they're just like dust on a scale. You can imagine somebody weighing some things out and on dust on it isn't even measurable. But he looks at that. I, I can measure out the smallest little speck of dust there. And he says, I, 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 and I can weigh them all out. He says, in Lebanon, it's not sufficient to burn, nor the beast is you know, sufficient for a burnt offering. He says, nations aren't big enough for a sacrifice to me. All the nations before him are nothing. They are counted as less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts uh, silver chains. Whoever it is that's impoverished, and he can't afford something like that, for such a uh, contribution, he chooses out a tree that will not rot. He makes himself a skillful workman in, uh, uh, to prepare a, gar a carved image that will not totter. Here people go out. If they're rich, they make these incredible idols and images and things, and they overlay them with gold. This is my God. This is my security. You know, it's interesting, Isaiah 44, don't need to turn to it now, but he says on how a man, when he makes an image, makes it, you know, he takes a tree, cuts it down, and then he carves it all up. He, with a little bit of it, he goes and he gets wood for the fire, and, and with a little bit of it, he goes and makes an image. And then he makes, you know, it doesn't have eyes, it can't see, it, doesn't, it has ears, it can't hear, it has all these body parts that makes it look like something, but it's, it's, it can't see, can't hear, can't move, have nothing at all. With part of it, you have just taken you know, to warm yourself with a fire, and, and then you bow, down, down, you bow down to it, and you worship it, and say, you're my God. When he just made it, uses part of it to warm and, you know, pay his utilities with, and then, and, and then says, you made me. And that's, way, that's how many of the world, they go out, they carve up something, make something, get a world for themselves. It may be whatever they can cut down, they can build their house and pay their utilities and do their stuff. And then they bow down to all they have. And they say, look, you made me. 
when he just made it. What's wrong with that picture? But he said people do that. And he, but he says, have you not understand? You know, uh, uh, have you not heard? Have you not uh, heard it's not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He who sits above the circle of the earth uh, and its inhabitants, they're like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them out uh, like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall they stock uh, uh, take root in the earth and when he will also blow on them and they uh, will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble he said you look at this you look at all the princes and the royals and all this they come and they go and they're just blown off into dust they came they were and they cease and they're gone like stubble and uh, there's a few of them scarcely there that are that. But the mass that dream of it and spend their life preoccupied with something that never happens. And they preoccupied with the ones with whom it happens. He says, all of them. What a waste. It's gone. And so he says, tells them in verse 25, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. And, uh, and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number and calls them by name, and by the greatness of his might and his strength and his power, and not one is missing. Here he looks and he says, the host, all the stars of heaven. I not only know their number, I know their name. I mean, here are these untold billions, hundreds of billions of stars. And, he, and, and they, have not a, they have a number, they have a name. I named a piece of dirt. You know, when you stop to think, well, God tells us some interesting things. You would think, who cares? You know, who really cares the name of a piece of dirt that, that is hanging out there, you know, somewhere? Well, it's it, what it tells me. The Bible also says that the Lord knows the number of hairs on your head. Think about that one. You comb your hair, he's got to do a recount. I mean, seriously, I mean, if he really, he knows, he knows our thoughts before they think them. In other words, if God knows the minutest, most insignificant detail. You've got to realize, like David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That your mind is preoccupied, it's obsessed with us, or the son of man that thou visitest him. God, I mean, we should be the one obsessed with you. And yet you're the one obsessed with us. You're the one there. You know, we I talked to you know, uh, one of our daughter-in-laws today, who we've got 12, uh, well, three children, uh, 12 grandchildren, four great-grandchildren. We've got another one due any day, grandchild. I talked to her today. I said, how are the contractions? She says, they've kind of calmed down. I said, well, you know, I, the Lord must be answering Jean's prayer because she told him this morning when the baby's supposed to come so she can be there. So I, I don't know if he took the order, but I know I take them all, so <laughs> maybe the Lord does too. But anyway, the thing is, is that I did, to think there on how we look at a little child, little baby there and just stare at them just stare at them you know and, and the little, little things oh look I think he cooed no he didn't coo he just something's just passing through the system here probably you know or whatever I mean we no 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 that was that, that, that they smile at me I swear they did you know I mean so preoccupied with a little child and think that the Lord looks and he says that's how I am with you oh you don't think it you don't feel it you're not aware of it because you're not aware of me God could say You've, you've minimized me your entire life. 
You're my power, my majesty, my glory. And as he looks at this and he tells them, you know, lift up. I'm, not, I'm equal to no one. I, you know, I know them all by number. And he says, and by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. I watch over all of them. Pieces of dirt flying around the universe. And here are the Jews, though they're few in number. You know, they're facing a long, difficult journey. Again, I mean, there had been Assyria and Babylon and Persia. And to them, it, it made it look like the false gods of the Gentiles were stronger than theirs. You know, we live in a world where God has allowed, you know, all the gods and goddesses of this life and this world. Sometimes they just seem so much more powerful to us than God. He's designed it that way. He's allowed it that way. He doesn't want to be worshipped just because of his power, just because of his supremacy. He wants to be worshipped because of his love and his personal relationship and his care. It was an individual choice. And here sometimes we look at the gods of money and the gods of power and of lust and greed and immorality and corruption, and it seems like they're winning big. It seems like as you look at the world around and then you look at all the false religions in the world and sometimes it can you look around, there's a Christian. And what a time though, Isaiah just wants to tap him on the shoulder and remind us of the greatness of Jehovah, of God. He says, behold the greatness of your God. And you get that right. You'll see everything else in perspective. Because God is greater this is what he's telling them. God is greater than anything in the earth from verses 12 to 20, over and over. Anything in heaven, he tells them that from verses 21 to 26. Bigger than, greater than all of creation. It shows his wisdom. It shows his power, his immensity. And he's far greater than any gods and goddesses in the world. There's nothing that's equal to him, let alone dream of anything greater. And then he says, by the way, the greatest of them all is a drop in the bucket. Drop in the bucket. You just imagine a bucket. And then you hear this little ping. You know, a little drop goes in. You look down. There's a little teeny wet spot at the bottom of a, of a bucket. God says, that's, that's who we're talking about here. But how sad that sometimes, you know, that, that here, you know, somebody once said, circumstances are those nasty little things that get your eyes off God. And, you know, that's so true. How easily we, you know, that, that we are trying to, uh, to God can see so, seem so small when we're trying to see him through our circumstances. Here God is saying, no, everything is going to be out of whack until you see your circumstances through me. It changes everything. And, uh, you know, with it, you start with me, your circumstances will be small. You start with your circumstances and you're in, you're in trouble. And here, just, you know, just simply so often, when we're, how many times, every time we're in trouble, we're seeing our circumstances, our problems, our difficulties before God. We're seeing something else more than him. And more than his power, more than his glory, more than his love, more than his strength. And sometimes we can allow our, 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 the struggle in our, our marriage. I mean, you look now, here are things going on with, with, within the city of Philadelphia tonight, having to go home. Have, you know, I mean, it's almost, oh, well, I guess, you know, curfew because of anarchy going on in the city, Corvid going on. Some of you are wondering, will I ever get my go back to work again? Well, will the doors open at my company again? 
Uh, will my kids go back to school again? Uh, you know, I mean, these, uh, you know, China, uh, Russia, North Korea, I mean, all this stuff, the politics. I mean, they can seem so huge. They can seem so, I mean, just pick one and then focus on it. And, and, and you can be in trouble. You, you may have, you may, oh, I'm fine with all those. I have a seven-year-old at home that reduces me to nothing, you know, or something. I don't know what you got, but all it takes is focus on your seven-year-old, and you're and you're over in the corner in five minutes in a fetal position, drooling because they can bring you to your knees, because anything can can scare you in the night. A flash under the door of a light. Oh no, I go out there. I'm going to die in my pajamas, you know, or something. Where I, the, the 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 things that that. You know, I remember one time one of our boys, he had a terrible morning, had a terrible night all night. He says, Mommy, I, there was a scary movie in my closet all night. <laughs> you know, and how many of us, we, scary movie. And here, you know, the Lord looks and says, that's not it. And so it's not only, I want to comfort you with the past is gone, comfort you with the present, I'm with you. To comfort you, you know, as, as well with my power but also to comfort you with endurance. In verse 27, he says, Why do you say, O Jacob, O speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall utterly faint or faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here he asks me, he says, why? Why do you complain? Why do you say your way is hidden from the Lord? We're famous at that. Anything's wrong. God, you don't love me. God, you don't care. You know, we, 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 God, I, I told him what it is. He just passed it over. He didn't listen to me. You know, whenever we're back is into the wall and we panic, how many times do we just come back there and, and tell God? He doesn't care. Like, God's going to come to us and tell us, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I do care. What did you want again? I'll, I'll do it for you. I remember one time I was a little kid and my mother, you'd had to know her. She was the gentlest, sweetest woman on the planet. It, it, she, but we could manipulate her. Three boys in our family, we could twist that poor woman around ourselves and get anything usually we wanted some way or another out of her. My dad, he balanced her. We'll just leave it at that. But the, the thing is, I remember one time, she's making dinner. I can still remember this picture in my mind. She's making dinner. I'm sitting in a chair right there next to the you know, counter, and uh, I wanted something. And she had said no. And then I, but I twisted her again. I, did, I wasn't getting it. And, I, and then I, I, out of desperation, I turned to my mother and I said, you know something? And she said, what? I said, I'm thinking of running away. I, that was, that was going to do it for sure. And my mother, I'll never forget, you'd have to know the woman. She comes to me and she looks over, she's got a little spatula in her hand up there. And she says, all right, you run away. Go ahead. Get out of here. We, <laughs> that's your attitude or something? Oh, no, 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 no I don't want to go anywhere. I'm just... And, you know, I, she called my bluff. You know, I could see right to it. She could. But, but how do how many times do we try stuff with God? Pout. Whine. 
as if God's going to bless unbelief and whining and pouting. And he says, don't do that to me. Don't you know who I am? Have you not known? you telling me you haven't heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator, I don't, I'm not tired. I'm not weary. My understanding is unsearchable. I'm fully apprised and aware of absolutely everything that's going on. And I give power to the weak. I never restrain. I never hold back. And to those they have no mind, I give strength. There's absolutely nothing I'm not here prepared to do, uh, you know, on this thing to help you through. But if you do it on your own, I want you to know the, the young men, they'll faint. They'll be weary. The youths, the young men shall utterly fall. You go in your own strength, you'll be back plowing your own road again. And here, when the Lord is just wanting to teach them, put your eyes where they need to be. Put your trust where they need to be. And he says, because those that wait upon the Lord. When we sit here and tonight, maybe we in the last couple minutes, you need to wait upon him. Maybe, maybe you're here and you've got a lot of guilt. Maybe you're here and, you, and, and you've got a lot of failure and you haven't really realized. Fully he looks at you and he sits to you tonight and says, enough of that. I'm paying double for it. It's over. It's forgiven. It's blotted out. Do we need to talk more about it or are you free? And then if all right, we're okay now. I also want you to know I'm with you there to guide you out of it. You, we, you're, get, you're, going, you're going to get in the car. You're going to go home, and you got a mess. You got problems. You got a lot. Of, you got a lot of crooked roads. You got some mountains. You got some valleys. You got some junk to clean out. That's my job. Don't try to figure it on. Or don't do it on your own. Don't try to chart your own course. That's what got you where you are. Go home dependent and saying, you're the shepherd. You will lead your flock like a shepherd. You will you know, bring us to yourself. You will handle these things. And, and, I, and, and, and he says, I have all the power. I spoke the world into existence. I know everything about you. I know what things you have need of before you do. I know the, the road home. I know all the issues. I know which the door you're walking into. You don't. Don't tell me you do. Let me help you walk in the door with you and I'll give you power and I'll bring you through and to guide you you know in each step of the way and I'll give you whatever is needed for the rest of the journey you'll mount up with wings as eagles you'll walk not be weary not be faint and then when we can say Jesus comfort me the world doesn't know this comfort but that's yours and that's mine amen Lord thank you for your love your sufficiency, Lord. Thank you for this psalm or this message of Isaiah. I pray you'll help us. Maybe we need to go home and just sit there and open it up and say, Lord, preach that to me. Bring it home to me again, Lord. I'm tired of trying to explain my sin. I'm weary. Please just sit by me. I just need you to take a deep breath. Put your arm around me and tell me that you love me and you forgive me. I need it. I just, all I see is my sins. I just see what's pounded out on the door. I just see the list. I'm so aware of all my failures. I want to be more aware of you and your love and your goodness. And Lord, I need you to then bring me home. Guide me through the day tomorrow. Get my eyes where they belong. And as you straighten out the past, you bring down, you fill in the roads. You say, oh, these are my relationships. I created every one of these people. I love them. 
But I want to use you as a vessel to help encourage them while I encourage and guide you. Lord, we ask that you would comfort, 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 comfort us in all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.